not easy, but the people, even though they're leaving slavery, are still going to be drawn back to those old ways of thinking, those old ways of acting, and they're going to struggle in that. And I love that story because that's you and me. We are sinners in a sinful world, and we are pulled towards sin. And we have a culture all around of us that pushes us and leads us towards sin. And even though most of us in this room have met Christ, have experienced His love, and we are on this journey to get closer to His holiness and to Him, there's still these moments that we're just stupid and we kind of get pulled back. There's still these moments, even though we know this is better, we find ourselves acting, thinking, and behaving the old way. And so, though this is a historical book about what happened specifically to the Israelites in this exodus, I think all of us can learn lessons from their journey that apply to our own lives and the own struggles that we have day to day. Now, as we've been going through this series, we've talked about the key to the series. And these are three verses that each week, I really think, have input into the entire lesson that we're looking at. And so these three verses, I hope that you'll take them in, you'll learn them, you'll memorize them, and they'll become tools that you have in your heart so that when struggles come your way, you can lean on these and you can use them appropriately. That's what we really want with Bible memorization. Is It's not just so you can say, I know 25 verses. It's so in the moment when Satan attacks, you can pull back from God's Word those things you've known and use them in the moment to do battle with your adversary. It's a beautiful thing. So we have three of them that are the keys of the series. One is in Luke 16, 13. It says, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And each week I tell you, you can just imagine money having an underline, and you can replace that word with anything. You cannot serve God and anything else. If He is your Lord, if He is your Master, He's the only one. He's the only voice you listen to. He's the only one giving instructions. And to be honest, for a lot of you, if you haven't been at our church for a while, most Christians don't even get this concept. We treat God like He's our friend, our buddy, our rescuer, but we do not go, He's my Master. That word servant that you see in the Bible, do you know what the best translation of it is to English? Slave. I am choosing to be God's slave. Because I love Him and I am so submissive to Him, I want Him to make all the decisions. And for a lot of us, that's a shift. A lot of us, we still want to drive and we want God to bless our will. But this is saying, nope, I am His servant. I care only to fulfill his will. Alright? Second verse. Proverbs 3, 5-6. through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. Now to me the reason this makes so much sense is think. You're admitting you are an old world that was broken and you're moving to a new world with new rules. You're going to completely follow God on that journey and you're going to let Him drive. Along that way, guess what? Some of his decisions aren't going to make sense to you. Some of the things he wants to do, the ways he looks at the world, the way that he measures success, are not going to align with your old way of thinking. And so in those moments, when God's way is at complete conflict with your way, if you're truly a servant, 
you lean on His understanding, not yours. You go, Father, I don't get it, but I have faith in You, and You're the boss. I'm listening. And that's the hard part for us. It's very easy for us to obey Him when it makes sense. It's hard when we don't understand it. That's when you have to make the tough calls. So we acknowledge He is our Master. We acknowledge that we will lean on His understanding even when it doesn't make sense to us. And thirdly, we acknowledge as obedient children, we will not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, but as He who has called you is holy, you also be holy. So along this journey, not only will He be Master and we be servant, but by us obediently following Him, something's going to happen. We're going to change. Over time, as we are in His presence and in His love, we will begin to look like Him. And so if He is holy, if He is powerful, if He is loving, if He is disciplined, guess what's going to happen? People are going to start looking at you and going, you're powerful, you're loving, you're disciplined. You begin to look like Him. Kind of reminds me, have you ever seen those pictures of dogs and their owners? And they say how they look similar over time. That that, that should hopefully happen to us. That one day people would look at you and go, you kind of remind me of God's character. Man, how awesome that would be. That's what we should be pushing for. Now, flipping your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. We've got a large section to cover today, but we're going to just hit some main points. Let me catch you up as you're you're, uh, flipping there. So, Moses, a man torn between two nations, right? He is born an Israelite, but raised an Egyptian. Never feels like he has a people. The Egyptians look at him as second class because he doesn't have pure blood. The Israelites look at him and go, you were raised like a rich kid, man. You do not understand our world. In a fit of anger one day, as he's defending an Israelite man, he commits murder. And from this moment, he runs. He runs to the wilderness where we can see through the little details provided to him that he just feels lost. He names his child a stranger in a foreign land. He does not feel at home. And so we've seen him in this torn between two worlds. We've seen him sin. We've seen him lost. And then after he's been nowhere for a long time, God shows up and goes, Moses, you. I have picked you to go free my people. And he outlines this beautiful plan for Moses. He gives Moses the ability to perform miracles. He answers all of his questions. And Moses is still like, me? Not me. Anybody but me. I'm afraid. And God basically pulls like, I'm dad, we're going to do this because I said so. He's like, who made you? I did. You and Aaron, your brother, are going to fulfill this. Let's go. And so where we pick up in Exodus chapter 5 is a moment that I think a lot of us can remember back to. I think a lot of us can remember back to that moment where we acknowledged we were sinners, acknowledged that we were not living the right way, acknowledged that if we kept being our own masters, we'd go nowhere, and we finally submitted to God and said, God, I'm yours. God, I, I will follow you. You've asked me to come, and I will come. And that's where we're at at the beginning of this. Moses, there's no more questions. There's no more arguments. Moses has heard God speak. He knows it's God speaking. He knows what God wants him to do, and he's agreed to do what God wants. So let's look what happens. Exodus chapter 5. 
It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. The same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen, You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks, as in the past. Let them go and gather their own straw for themselves. But the number of bricks that they made in the past you shall impose on them still. You shall by no means reduce it, for they are idle. Therefore they cry, Let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to their lying words. So, I want you to picture this. One, do you think there's a lot of encouragement that had to happen before Moses and Aaron to go before Pharaoh? Like, remember sometimes when you're reading the Bible, like, God skips pieces. Like, I don't think from the moment they left, they were like, we got this. Let's go see Pharaoh. I'm betting along that journey, there was a lot of discussions. I'm betting along that journey, there was a lot of building themselves up. I bet there was a lot of fear they had to overcome. But they finally get there, standing before possibly the most powerful man in the world, and they ask, not for the people to be set free permanently, but just for them to be allowed to go three days into the wilderness and worship God. Right? They're kind of easing into this, right? First call is not, hey, freedom. It's three days so they can worship. Now, I want you to think for a second. When you yourself have been in those moments where you fought God, but you finally hear Him, you finally submit, and you finally obey, what do you expect to happen? Don't you normally expect it to go good? I mean, let's just be real. I can be honest. I've had these moments in my life where I've been like, okay, I'm giving in, God. And my expectation at that point is I'm going to have very smooth sailing. Because I've heard, I'm listening, and I'm obeying. So now everything's going to work great. They get to Pharaoh, they're not even asking for freedom. And what's he say? No way. One, I don't know who your God is. And two, do you know how much work your people do for me? You think I'm going to let my workforce disappear for seven days so they can worship your God? Get lost. Get lost. And in fact, after they leave, he turns to the people running the Israelites and goes, these guys obviously have too much time on their hands. Kind of reminds me, like, do you ever remember summertime when you were off from school if you told your parents you were bored? <laughs> Bad call. Right? Oh, you're bored. I, I can fill up your time. Right? I can fill up your time. He goes, if they're sitting here talking about worshiping their God in some desert place, these guys, these guys have too much time. So, keep their quota to the same. They have to produce the same amount of bricks. But before we were bringing them the supplies, stop bringing them the supplies. They got to go get their own supplies. This is probably not what Moses and Aaron 
planned on happening. And in fact, it gets worse. Skip with me. Let's jump to chapter 5, verse 19. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, You shall by no means reduce your number of bricks or your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them. And as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, The Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. See what happens? Not only does Pharaoh get angry and reject this and punish the people, but now the leaders of the Israelites look at Moses and Aaron and are like, Great job. Thanks. Thanks, hero boys, for running in to save the day. You come in preaching freedom, and in one conversation, you've maximized our workload, and if we don't meet it, it's not like I don't get paid, it's like we get killed. Thank you very much for interceding, gentlemen. Now, if you're Moses and Aaron, is this what you expected? We've submitted to God, we've overcome fear, we've boldly proclaimed His message, and now, day one... Pharaoh's not listening and the people have turned on me. Why wouldn't God make this go smoother for them? Why wouldn't God make this easy? And look at what Moses says. Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, why have you done evil to the people? Why, why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. God, what's going on? I mean, if you've been a Christian for a long time, I guarantee you've had many of these conversations. God, what's happening? I did what you asked. I did what you asked, and it blew up in my face. Where are you? You know, it's a slight variation of that question we get asked a lot of times from non-Christians. If God is so good and God is all-powerful, why do bad things happen to good people? It's the same question, it's just atheists start asking it. We are. God, I obeyed you, I did as you asked, and nothing good's happening. Nothing good. 6-1 But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And then verses 2 all the way through 8, he keeps talking about the game plan. How the plan's going to work. What's going to happen with Pharaoh. Why he's making this happen. In verse 9 it says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but again they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and the harsh slavery. So we got this little back and forth happening now, right? They've gone to Pharaoh. He said no. The people got mad. Moses goes to God. God goes, all part of the plan, Moses. All part of the plan. Moses goes, okay, I'm off the ledge. Let me go back to the people of Israel. Again, they won't listen. Again, they will not listen. Look at chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment." 
The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. So there's a few things I want you to see here. The main gist is get it like, they did exactly what God asked. Were they victorious? No. Not from the standards of the world. And this is where it gets difficult. This is where we talk about this journey being hard, right? We are so ingrained in our eyesight, in our way of judging things, that even as we read this, we go, well, success clearly would have been if they go to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, yes, the people can go worship. And then all the foremans of Israel go, Moses and Aaron, you're awesome. You guys are the best. That's what success looks like. What we see here is God's looking at Moses and Aaron going, no. You guys don't even get the plan. If that happened, the whole plan would have broke. What you guys are part of is a battle between me and this man Pharaoh who thinks he is God. This human man thinks he is God. And he thinks he can stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with me. And not only does he think it, he is enforcing this upon entire culture. He is going to understand who is God. And this battle will not be simple. It will not be quick and it will not be easy. At the end of this, people will know who is man and who is God. And so I want you to see a few things here because this is important for you to understand. And it's really important for you to understand because to be honest, a lot of us pastors don't teach you this. A lot of the preachers on TV with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel teach you the opposite. They teach you, if you listen to God, you do as He asks, it'll be smooth sailing. Right? Just pray. Name it and proclaim it. Tell God what you want, and He will make it happen. And they blame you if it doesn't. Now, clearly, you didn't have enough faith. Clearly, you did not have enough faith. Have you ever watched those late night showings where the guys are healing people? And if they can't heal them, you know what they say? They say, you didn't have enough faith. Brothers and sisters, did God, did Jesus ever measure the faith of the people he was healing in the New Testament? The people in the New Testament didn't even know who he was. Their faith had no impact on his ability. The true power of God does not need your faith to act. It happens. It can't be stopped. It can't be contained. And so what we need to see is this line that we've been told that if we obey God, great things in the world will happen is a lie. Great things will happen, but not the things of the world, the things of the Spirit. And so there's three things I want you to really take away today. And they all fall under one category. One, the journey's hard. If you thought becoming a Christian was the end of pain and suffering... And from here on out, it's just easy. I'm sorry. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. Now, don't get me wrong. The journey's awesome. And it is a far better journey moving towards your Lord than it was towards anything this world can offer. It is completely and utterly worth it. But it's not easy. And in fact, Jesus was unbelievably clear about this to his disciples. 
this journey is difficult. It's going to take everything you have in it. He will give you enough, but you got to want it. you got to want it. And so there's three key things in this to understand with the journey being hard. One, the journey being hard shapes your character. See, you and I, we often pray for the tough times to end as fast as possible. Normally, when we're in the midst of the storm, we're praying like, please let the storm end. What we really should be asking is, God, teach me what you need to teach me in this storm. I know, God, that you are making this happen for some reason. So teach me what I need to learn in this moment. Don't ask for it to be over. Ask to grow from it. Look at what God says here in Romans chapter 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We actually, what? We rejoice in trials and in sufferings, because we know that God is at work in me. The only thing I can compare this to in my life is, is kind of like anything you grow at. If you've ever worked out in your life, if you work out and the next day you're not sore, guess what? You didn't work out. You didn't work out. You, I mean, you may have moved, but you didn't work out. A good workout means you will be sore the next day because why does the muscle grow back stronger? Because you literally tore it down. And your body goes, if we're going to work like this, i got to be bigger. So as we repair, as we, re, we, we heal ourselves here, we're actually going to get bigger this time. So the next time he wants to do that, we can. Think about any kid who's ever been smart, right? What typically has to happen? You have to put them into classes, not where they know everything, but where they know very little. And they have to push themselves to grow and to learn. The same happens with God in your character. He is shaping you and pushing you to be better. You aren't holy to start with. So to become holy, He must put you through things. Second, it brings you closer to Jesus. Let's just be real. The number one sin we all have in, in, in the core of almost all sin is pride. We are unbelievably selfish people. All of us. Me included. The number and percentage of my daily thoughts that are about me is unreal. We are just self-consumed. Our comfort, our needs, our wants, our desires, our game plan, our hopes, our dreams, our fears, our worries. Us, 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 us. It takes so much to pull us out. It takes so much to do that. But do you know when people typically look outside of themselves? When they're in a moment where they've tried everything and they can't win. When they sit there and they go, I don't know what to do next. When they look at the world and they go, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not loving enough. I'm not forgiving enough. I, I can't do this. It's in those moments that people start looking up. And so what's funny for some of us is we complain about suffering, but for some of us, it is the greatest gift we will ever have. Because God your Father knows you, and He's like, I'm sorry, you're just kind of arrogant. If I let your life be good, you'd never look at me. If 
I gave you all smooth sailing, you wouldn't be a great person. Like, have you ever seen this, parents, with your own children, right? There, there's kids you have that you can almost kind of set free and they just do good. And then there's others that, like, if you set them free, they're going to explore the boundaries. They're, I mean, they're... They're going to take it to the limits in past. And it doesn't mean they're not beautiful. It doesn't mean they're not wonderful. It doesn't mean they're not awesome. In fact, often those people do amazing things. But you've got to rein them in. And if you don't, they'll go wild. God knows that about us. And a lot of ways that he brings us back in is through these hardships in our lives. These moments that make us go, you know what? I got cocky there. I thought I had this. And now I remember I need you. I need you to have this, God. Look what it says in 1 Peter 4. It says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. There's a second part to why you grow closer to Him. Not only is it that when you come to the end of your rope, you start looking to Him. But if we wake up for a moment, let's be real. Why do you and I ever think Christianity would be easy? Like, who is the best Christian ever? I mean, it's, it's called Christianity. I think Jesus Christ probably gets the crown as being the best Christian, right? Would we look at Jesus' life and be like, man, that was one comfortable life. Smooth sailing the whole way. No, you look at his life and you're like, oh my goodness. I mean, basically, the best part of his life was when no one knew who he was. And then the three years where he's proclaiming, teaching, loving, healing, doing awesome, terrible. Basically just tons of people plotting to kill him. They bring him on false charges, torture him, murder him, and everybody bails. So yeah, we should expect life might be a little difficult if that's the role model. It's weird that you and I think following his footsteps somehow ends to a mansion with a Corvette and a bunch of people liking us. I don't know why you'd think that. We're not chasing after the things of this world. And so what Peter points to is there's also this beautiful thing that as we suffer, we kind of have this kindred spirit with Christ. We kind of remember the suffering He went through. We get to share with Him in that moment. Have you ever had that with someone you love? Or even when it's not so great, but just you being there with them brings you together? Because what you realize, right, is this isn't one of those relationships that is just going to be the peaks. This is one of those relationships where even in the darkest valleys, we will be there together. In suffering, you learn that about your Savior. He's always there. He's always there. Look at Philippians 4.12. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I always love this verse. Everybody always remembers 4.13. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Right? We have t-shirts, we have coffee mugs, we have it on the back of our car and a bumper sticker. We forget 12. 
I can do all things like being brought low, like facing hunger, like being in need. I can face those things because Christ will give me the strength to do those. It doesn't mean life's happy. It means He will give you what you need to face even the worst. That's what He means. Last point. Not only does it shape our character, not only does it bring us closer to Him, but if we just wake up for a moment, it's such a small price for what God gives us. It's such a small price. You and I are constantly tormented by our enemy in that he keeps us looking at the temporary. He always draws our vision to today, to to now. Because he can impact this. If you and I would get better at seeing the eternal, we would realize how small these trials are. I mean, like, honestly, think back to high school. For some of you, let me give a few extra seconds to do that. Okay. Do you remember some of the things that were just wrecking your life back then? And now when you look at them, you're like, that was so stupid. I can't believe I thought that was a big deal. Like, really? Like, oh my gosh, the other day I was sitting there and there was this girl I was crazy about and it was wrecking me that we had this weird relationship happening. I couldn't remember her name the other day. I was sitting there and I'm like, oh my gosh, what was her name? She ran track. We sat in Spanish class together. I was obsessed with that girl. I can't even remember her name now. Because guess what? Some of these things, they just don't matter in the scope of eternity. Matt Chandler, one of my favorite pastors, always says, you will not remember today 300 trillion years from now. Literally, in 300 trillion years from now, you will exist. You will be in heaven in God's full glory. You're not going to be like... Remember that headache I had on February 4th? That was ridiculous. If God really loved me, I'd never had that headache. I mean, even, even like brutal things, right? Let's say you go through cancer for five years and it rips you to pieces. In 300 trillion years of perfection and love and adoration. Are you like, that five years was ridiculous. Totally not worth it. No. No. It'll be a blip on the radar. Look at what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us all for the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Be people who focus on the eternal. Do not ask for your sufferings to go away until you let it shape your character, until you let it draw you closer to God, and until you change your perspective to focus on eternity, not just today. Next week, we get to see how God starts answering the call. Next week, we get to see after this first blip how God starts to bring victory to His people's way. I would ask Maria to go ahead and come up
I'm going to ask Brother Joe to come up, and we're going to go ahead and go into our time of prayer and closing. If there's anything on your heart that you need to pray about, feel free to come forward. If not, just where you're at, go to God and talk to your Father. Let's all stand. You've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. If you've been hearing the same old voice, tell the same old lies. If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, he's a pain If you need freedom or saving, he's a prison shaking savior. If you've got chains, he's a chain breaker. We've all searched for the light of the day and the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things we know just ain't right And there's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom or saving He's a prison shaker if you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. God's people said? Yeah. We did it, Maria. We did it. Oh my gosh. We gotta get out of here. Alright. Oh, it's 12.01. Okay, you guys have a great week. If you're in security training, you guys go ahead and get out of here. I love you all. Remember, you've been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. And you have a mission to go make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Go do that. If you're gonna do Valentine's Banquet, please see Ethan or family. 
Let her know so she has enough stuff for everybody. Security people, thank you for your sacrifice. If you're watching the Super Bowl, I hope whatever team you're winning wins, unless it's the Patriots. <laughs> He's a